0: Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit NorthMonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Amen. Thank you all, band, for leading us this morning. Uh, My name's Stephen. Clearly, I'm not Pastor Bill. He is at the SBC convention this week. Him and Cody and Warren, not Warren, Warren's here. Uh, Him and Cody and Blake um, and Kenneth are there, Uh, so they're out uh, learning some new things, I guess. I don't really know what they do there. I need to go at some point. Uh, my name is Steven. I am the student pastor here. So I work with these amazing teenagers sitting up here in the front. Y'all look so good this morning. Uh, that was a couple of mine, Jackson and Finner. Um, and so we're super excited to be here today. i um, very glad y'all are joining us for church this morning. Uh, but it's been a kind of a crazy week. I see my mom and dad sitting over there. I just made eye contact with them. Had to call them out. Uh, it's been kind of a crazy week. A lot has been going on. Uh, we had, y'all remember what last week was? Yeah, I heard it over here. VBS. I've been singing Destination Dig in my head all weekend. Uh, we had VBS last week. It was a great time. Um, all my high schoolers, we are leaving for Panama City Beach in the morning at like 6.15. We can't wait. It's going to be a blast. Uh, so if you're going on that, 6 o'clock behind the student center, be there. If you're late, we'll leave you. Not really, but uh, that was going on. Plus, I had to preach this morning, and this was so funny. I was talking with Jackson and Finner in my office the other day. Last week's sermon was... Um, He was preaching to us about not fretting, and all week I've been fretting about preaching. I feel like I did not hear what he had to say last week. I was not listening. Um, So it's been just a crazy week. And then also, I've got some big news for everybody. I figured this would be the best time to just rip the Band-Aid off. Um, Yesterday, I got engaged to my girlfriend. (laughs) Um, She's here today. Don't drive her too crazy, but I'm very excited about that. So that was also going on all week, uh, the planning process for that. And so I'm just taking a deep breath, standing up here, and we are just going to talk for a little while, and we're going to talk about something very, very important to me. Um, But before we get into that, um, VBS again was last week, and you know they kind of build up. They work through the gospel, talk about different topics um, and different things throughout the week. And on Thursday, Pastor Bill, um, he brings in a whiteboard, and he just draws out a simplistic um, depiction of the gospel on this whiteboard with marker, and, and he explains and walks through the gospel as he does it and talks about Adam and Eve and sin entering the world and the separation that was, um, that happened because of that and what the cross did for us and how that bridged the gap. And now we can have a relationship with God. And, um, he was talking about Jesus and how, uh, Jesus got punishment that he did not deserve. And so he went into this story about when he was in like kindergarten or something and, and talked about there was a thing of clay and they weren't supposed to touch the clay. If they touched the clay, they were going to get in trouble. And of course, kindergartners are great at following directions. I don't know if y'all know that or not. Um, one kindergartner in front of Pastor Bill like pokes the clay and like makes a hole in it, which he wasn't supposed to do. And then Pastor Bill, he was kindergarten, couldn't control himself. He poked the clay, too. Well, somehow, Pastor Bill ended up getting in trouble and blah, 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 blah. And this reminded me of a story. I don't even know if this is fully true. Mom can correct me afterwards. Uh, growing up, I had a great childhood. Um, Mama was always at, uh, out on the porch waiting on us when we got back. But I was a very timid child. I hated getting in trouble. I was so afraid and so anxious about that that I really I tried to do everything that I was supposed to do and do it well and do it right. And so part of that was like doing my homework. So in third grade, I, we always tried to do our homework at school, or at least I did, uh, do my homework at school. So when I got home, I could just go rip, romp, and stomp outside and run around until the lights came on and then come back in. Probably dirty and in need of a shower. And then also another point before we get to this, um, back in the day, y'all, some of y'all probably remember this. They had like wooden paddles and they drilled holes in them for like aerodynamics so that they get you, they make you pop a little, you know, you hop whenever you get whipped. Um, some of you probably know, I'm sorry if that brings back any bad memories. Well, I wasn't a kid that got whipped. Never. Parents didn't whip me. Didn't get in trouble. I got grounded one time. Ate all my SpaghettiOs. Got ungrounded. It was a great deal. Really loved it. Um, and in third grade, like I said, I tried to do everything right. I wasn't a little angel. I was just a little timid and anxious kid that tried to do everything well so that I wouldn't get in trouble. Well, we had spelling homework or something. Uh, You're looking at the third place, seventh grade champion. Well, third place is not really champion of spelling. Back in the day, I got out on the word ostentatiously. I can spell it now, but couldn't then. Uh, But in third grade, I don't remember what they were, but I remember having to take it home and do it. And I know to this day, I'm 30 years old, and I stand beside it. I did my spelling homework. I did every word, turned it in. I think I remember putting it in my backpack, but somehow, apparently magic is real. I got to school, and I unzip my backpack, and it had vanished. Um, Couldn't blame it on the dog. Couldn't blame it on a fish. I don't think that's an excuse I've heard before. Um, And my homework wasn't there. And for some reason, this teacher decided that our punishment would be one lick with one of them aerodynamic paddles. This one might have been plastic, a little lighter, more efficient, um, goes through the air better. Um, Y'all know what I'm talking about. And and I don't recall because I think I've blocked it out. This was a dark time in my life. (laughs) Don't laugh at me. And I couldn't find my homework. And the punishment was what the punishment was. I know I did it. I'm pretty sure I found it when I got home later that day. But I didn't follow the rules. So my little timid self got walked out into the hallway. And I think I got whipped one time. Just once. And that, like, crushed me. I was destroyed. So embarrassed. So much shame. Cried don't tell anybody and went back to class. And and still to this day, I feel like that was punishment that I was not supposed to get. Well, it was in third grade. So I've moved on as you can tell. Um, But I remember that story that pastor bill told, and this story made me think about that. And it's not an issue, but I feel like we only ever talk about this concept of undeserved punishment around Easter. Um, We're celebrating the resurrection and and we talk about before the resurrection, the the sacrifice that Jesus made, and it is the centerpiece of our faith. It is the cornerstone of of what we believe. And so today I want to take some time and, and try to paint a word picture for you of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us not even as much the profound meaning. We will talk about that at the end. But the details of what happened to him on that day. I was thinking about talking about this after stressing about topics and what can I talk about. We got camp coming up. Just got back from Whitewater Rafting. BBS is here. I'm about to get engaged. All this crazy stuff running through my head. I remembered this Bible Um, this was a Bible that a good friend of mine gave me, I think just before I got saved, which was odd timing. And it's honestly, it's been sitting in the student center, um, on the mezzanine in a corner underneath a bundle of wires, probably doesn't meet the fire code. Sorry, Warren. Um, and it's just been sitting there, but this is, this is my Bible and it's so old and so tattered that even the duct tape's not sticking anymore that I used to put the, uh, the backside back on it. Um, and I remember when I came to know Christ, I picked this thing apart, And I always ended back in the Gospels, towards the end, in the story of Jesus' sacrifice. And there is marker, highlights, pins, all kinds of stuff. In those chapters, and you can actually, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 26. Um, That's where we'll spend a lot of our time, and then we'll bounce around a little bit, and you can just listen. Uh, But in Matthew 26, I just found some highlighted spots, and I went back through, and I was reading, and I was like, why don't we just take some time this Sunday morning and be reminded of who Jesus was and why he did what he did and truly what he did in that moment. And so a little preface before we get um, to all of this Um, and some things. The title of today is Remember the Cross. And the first thing I want you to ask yourselves is why should we remember this? Why should we remember this? And there are three things that came to mind when I said that. The first is that the past shapes our future. All of you right now can look back to things in your life that have been tragic or wonderful, that have changed you and made you who you are today, Also, that the depth of that past and how it's affected us shapes our minds and our thinking. And then finally, the degree in which we hold on to that past shapes our very soul and defines all of the things that we choose to do in the future. They're all contingent on how our soul has been marked by what has happened before us because we don't know what the future holds. So, a glimpse into the past before we jump into this, is first off, all of you know the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were in the garden. Their souls were clean. There was no sin. Adam and Eve were tempted. And in that temptation, they decided in their hearts and in their minds to commit the very first sin against God. And it changed everything. And we see the sacrificial system come into play, something I don't even think about oftentimes. Because not long after that, Adam and Eve are clothed in the skin of other animals. I don't know what animals they may have been, but what we see here is that the sinfulness and the dirtiness and the ugliness and the nakedness of Adam and Eve were covered by animals that God had sacrificed and used their skin and that offering to cover them. And this began a trend where laws would be set in place... And if we did not follow them to the T, then we would have to sacrifice a a, a dove. We would have to sacrifice a a chicken, a goat, a a lamb, a sheep, a, a cow, whatever it was that we could afford or however much we had to sacrifice to cover these sins. And for thousands of years, this idea of sacrifice that because we have sin, because we still sin today, that sin must be covered by something. God chose the sacrifice of animals because they physically needed clothing and that was the only source. And so animals became the focal point of sacrifice. And the law pointed out to us that we cannot do it on our own. We cannot follow every single law in the Old Testament. It's impossible. So there had to be another way. And if the sacrificial system was already in play, then that was going to be how it had to play out And so as you all very much know, and if you don't know, please listen. A man was born and a story began. And he walked with 12 people for three years. And towards the end of that journey, where he made blind people be able to see again, where he made people who couldn't talk, be able to talk again. People who couldn't walk, be able to walk again, where he was loving and kind. He never condemned people because they were in sin. He told them truth and said, follow the Lord and let go of that sin. And you will be free, have faith in God. Never used hatred, never used any of those tools. He even made corpses come back to life, fully healed. He was a wonderful man, an amazing man. But because he disagreed with the people in charge, his disagreement led to a point where he would be killed. And I want you to take a look at the world we live in today. People don't know how to disagree, they don't know how to argue. And in the Roman world, the way they dealt with it, if you didn't agree with them, they just nail you to a cross. They get rid of you. Do away with what we don't agree with. Thank God we have progressed. But it seems like now we're regressing to a time where if you disagree with me, I'm supposed to hate you. And in this depiction, we see hatred and we see what it can do. So in Matthew chapter 26, let's begin to read. We're starting in verse 36, so we're pretty far into it. The whole story of Christ's ministry has been told and the ending is coming and he has forewarned the gospels, forewarned the people that are following him, his disciples, that now is the time that things are about to change. So this is what we should remember. In verse 36, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will it, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch for me for an hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed. My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. We see our Savior, Jesus, kneel down in a garden, talking to the Father in anguish. In another depiction of the same scenario, um, we see our Savior, Jesus, sweating blood from his pores. I can't remember the scientific term for it, but it's a real thing that in deep, deep anguish and anxiety, uh, the capillaries that are at the surface of your skin that are responsible for helping keep you cool when you're outside wind will cool off your skin and it'll cool off that little bit of blood at the top and then it'll circulate through your body and that uh, regulates your temperature. Those little capillaries under that stress and that anguish will begin to burst And it mixes with the sweat that's coming out of your sweat glands. And he literally and physically began sweating little red droplets down his body. He knew what was coming. Jesus had the gift of foreknowledge. He had the gift of knowing the future because he is God who is in human form and considering equality with God, something to not be grasped. And he's humbling himself in this moment. And this cup is known as the cup of God's wrath. It is the stored up punishment that each and every one of us deserve because it says that the wages of sin is death. So every time someone sins, even in the most minuscule way, the punishment is eternal death and it just keeps filling up this cup. I'm going to read you a reference real quick in the book of Isaiah. Verse 22 will be on the screen. I'm going to read you a preface in chapter 51, Isaiah 51. It says, Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you who, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes people stagger. He's talking to his people in captivity in Babylon towards the end of that. In verse 22, this is what your sovereign Lord says, your God who defends his people See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. We see in the Old Testament, this reference throughout it, the cup of God's wrath, all of us deserving for it to be poured upon top of our heads and to be crushed. And we see Jesus praying God if there's any way that this cup can pass from me just like it passed from Jerusalem let it be so but by your will not mine so a little bit of time passes and we end up in verse 49 this is not long after what we just read going at once to Jesus Judas said greetings rabbi and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. This is one of Jesus's 12 closest friends. They've gone with him for three years and seen him do countless miracles. And Judas walks up and Jesus knows what's coming. He has foreknowledge. Then Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. And the man stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached out, reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Let's look at this scene. He just prayed in anguish and one of his friends comes out and kisses him on the cheek and guards roll up and get ready to shackle him and one of his closest friends Peter who we had already heard from pulls out a sword and lops off one of these guards ears this dude's ready to go to battle you feel me and look if I'm Jesus in this scenario and I got foreknowledge and I know what's coming we ain't got there yet but it's pretty crazy I'm about to hype Peter up Get the dude's other ear. Then he can't hear us. We can kind of zigzag, get out the room. We're going to escape. We can serve for a few more years. And then we can maybe do this later on a better day. Go, Peter, get him, get him, get him again. But Jesus doesn't do that. He does what you would expect Jesus that you've known for three years to do. He stops Peter because violence is never the way. And tells him to sheathe his sword and to stand back. And he looks at Peter and said, could I not at any moment? You know me. You know what I can do. You watched me tell Lazarus to get out of the grave. And he stood up out of a grave and walked. Could I not at any point call out an army from heaven and be rescued from this moment? Peter, who are you to protect me? And what I see in that moment Is a God who had humbled himself to human form, looking at his friends and saying, If I did not want to do this, I wouldn't. If I didn't have to do this, I wouldn't. I would go home and be comfortable. But I have to and I want to, so stand aside. And his best friends watched as these guards walk up and shackle his wrists and carry him away to the most unfair trial potentially in history because it was so, so brutal. Matthew chapter 27 Jesus is on trial for crimes that he did not commit, and also for crimes according to their law that he did commit confessing to be God the son of God in verse 15 it says while he's on trial being unfairly accused and unfairly um judged verse 15 in chapter 27 of Matthew it says now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd at that time they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas which is kind of funny 17. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of the self interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. This is the governor in charge, knew that these people were selfish. While Pilate was sitting at the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. I imagine him pulling out his phone and checking a text. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. There are people amongst the crowds convincing all of the people in this crowd. Let's release Barabbas, who is a known insurrectionist and rioter who causes trouble for the governor and has committed several crimes publicly. They're aware fully And he is guilty. And there are people convincing in the crowd, let's let Barabbas go. We can deal with him. We can't deal with Jesus. They say he's innocent. He's really not. He says he's God. That's kind of crazy, right? Verse 21 Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. A resounding theme with an exclamation point in this translation. Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood. He said, it is your responsibility and the audacity of the people. They answered and said, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So we're going to pause here in the story for just a second because this is one of the most brutal things that I think has ever happened in history. And it didn't only happen to Jesus, but Jesus happens to be a unique historical figure. And if you're in this room and over time you've grown to feel this as more of a legend or a story, you're incorrect. This is historical and factual. They let go a guilty man and they took the innocent man that everyone knew in their core was innocent. And they attached his cuffs or whatever he was chained up with to a post surrounded by people and they took a torture implement known as the cat of nine tails uh, used commonly by the Roman governor to punish people. I mean, it was a very brutal tool a very brutal tool um, it consisted of a, a leather handle, probably a wood handle wrapped in leather with nine leather strips that protruded from it. And um, I don't know how long ranging from um, two feet, probably three feet, something along those lines. Um, and on it throughout each one of those cords, they would put pieces of bone shards of metal. And at the end, they would have some type of rock maybe fastened to it. And um, I've heard that they were dipped in tar sometimes to help hold those things on, but it was a whip with jagged edges. And, and again, it was called flogging. And so while Jesus is there and his back is exposed and ripped and his clothes are hanging down, they take that cat of nine tails and everybody, I'm sure, gasped when the first one hit his back. All nine of them with those hooks and claws grab skin on his body and then they remove it. I don't think they removed it gently. I think they go straight into the next lash, five, 10, 15 the old testament even tells us that he was beaten to the point where he couldn't be recognized i think after the third or fourth you start to see white exposed in his abdomen because his rib cage is is bare and i think peter is hearing him say didn't he say he could call down an army from heaven why in the world Would he take the seventh lash and the 30th lash and the 35th? Why is he still suffering like this? Why was he mocked on stage like that? And at the end, I think he's exhausted. You can probably see organs through his back. It wraps around, it hits his chest, it hits his throat. I'm sure it hit his face. Bruised up, beaten, scarred in front of all of these people. It was horrifying. And then from there, they take a crown of thorns, fastened, and they they beat it on his head with a staff. Because the Pharisees were expecting this beautiful king to come and rule the world. But in reality, the king they got was not the king they were expecting. It wasn't their king. So they put the crown they thought he deserved on his head and drove it into his skin. Blood dripping down His face. They drape a robe over Him and they mock Him in front of all the people. Jesus, King of kings. With well, His shoulders dropped and His head bowed. And we'll start skipping around a little bit. Luke 23, 33-34 says this, When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified Him there along with the criminals. One on His right... The other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So they take this man beaten, brutally tortured with a crowd excited to see what was next. And they lay his body down on a cross and they drive spikes through his wrists and through his feet. And they set that cross up every breath, a struggle. You can probably see his lungs physically on his sides as he gasps for air supported only by two or three steel or iron spikes holding up his body and with some of his last breaths what he manages to say is father forgive them they don't know what they're doing and then they take his clothes divide them out and then we read in john chapter 19 verses 28 through 30 I got a couple of guys that are going to come bring a few things up here. We're going to do a little illustration in just a second, but I want you to see this image. I want you to imagine one of those brutally beaten men hanging from a cross and all of these things are happening. There's a crowd surrounding and they're looking at him and they're watching and they have no clue what's coming. They don't know that God's wrath in a cup was being poured out onto Jesus The man that knew no sin became sin for us. And to fulfill a final prophecy, wine vinegar is raised to his lips. He drinks it and he utters three beautiful words. That basically that sacrificial system, that law system that we've been working and working and working for, It has been fulfilled. It is being fulfilled. And right now, it is finished. Jesus put an end to the sacrifice of physical life through his own life because he is God. And at any moment, he could have come down off that cross, healed himself, wiped out everybody that didn't believe in him, And lived a comfortable life, but he chose to do the opposite because a sacrifice had to be made so that you could have a relationship with the Father. And our very sin was poured out onto him. It held him to the cross. And so I want to do a little illustration for us this morning. They did this at VBS, and this is one of my favorite illustrations. This water will represent us. Really, Adam and Eve, they're the only two humans that experienced purity and and joy and life with God, walking with him without sin. And this looks appealing on a hot day. I saw this quote earlier that it said, uh, this 90 feels different than when I was running around in it when I was a kid. I think that's such a fact. So this would be very refreshing on a hot day. But this represents Adam and Eve prior to sin. And now this is chemistry if you will so i'm going to show you a little experiment to drive this point home um, this is going to represent sin many of us know it as iodine um, iodine stains things really well so the first sin enters into humans and now what we get is munro water right so i'll still drink it you know there's probably a little bit of stuff floating in it um, it's a little bit more brown than we would have expected. Uh, But over time, we see sin just continue to enter into the human existence. My sin, your sin, their sin, our sin, the church's sin, the non-church's sin. And the water turns into something that doesn't look real appealing. Now, Now, if you told me it was sweet tea, I might try it. But I would be very much rudely uh, awakened once I took a sip. And over time... Sin just builds up. Sacrifices cover a little bit, but they can't touch the depth of the wrath that we deserve. And so in all of this process, now that we have this filthy water, our souls are marred and they need to be cleansed but we can't do anything about it. We've tried over and over and over again. We've, we've followed these 10 laws, but we failed on these 10. Let's work on these. And then we forgot about these 10. And it's just the struggle. You feel it. It's depression. It's anxiety. It's still in your life today. Sin exists. It's a big deal. And it takes what was clean and makes it unclean, impure, ugly, nasty the things that we look in the mirror and say to ourselves that aren't the eternal truth. And so we see the God of the universe, this is going to represent Jesus, sacrifice himself completely. Outstretched on a cross, he hangs his head and utters those three words that are beautiful and they resound still today as a completed act. And so as the cup of wrath was being poured out on Jesus... He was pouring himself out for us to cover the nastiness of the sin. And it didn't take long. And as soon as this was done, with a little bit of agitation, if you will, by the Holy Spirit, what once was dirty, what once was nasty, what once was ugly, has been made clean. It's no longer dirty rags, it is newness. It is new life, and that gift can be for anybody. And sin will still come in from time to time. We'll still struggle and we'll never be perfect. But as it comes in, it's covered. Sin no longer has power over our lives. But this only comes into existence for us if we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives. And we ascribe to the Savior that hung on the cross. And if we had about three more hours, we would start talking about the resurrection too. Because that's the most beautiful bow tie on top of this most heinous act in history. Church, your sins have been covered. You can walk in newness of life. But as they say at VBS, you have to admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus did what He said He did and that He rose from the grave and confess that He is Lord of your life and you will be saved. So I'm going to quote one last scripture for us. It'll be on the screen for you. It's Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. I highly encourage you to commit this to memory. Now the translation I have is a little bit different, so just kind of follow along as as you hear this. It's Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. In verse 1 it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us set aside everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And verse 3 is something I preach to myself daily. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weak and lose heart. Jesus on the cross, for my traditional folks in here, is the greatest Ebenezer that has ever been set up. A reminder of what has been done. And these sweet, sweet words from an old hymn prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. If you know Jesus in this room, remind yourself daily of what he went through. And praise God, he's not calling you to go through that same thing. He might, but I don't think he is. What he's calling you to do is get a little bit uncomfortable to start talking about this story that changes lives eternally. It's a beautiful thing. So the band's going to come back out. They've got one last song for us. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you would like to make that commitment because this is reality, he sacrificed himself for you. Right outside my right to your left is our Belong Center. There will be a team of pastors there that would love to talk to you about this sacrifice. And how crazy it really is that it's true and that it's reality and that it's powerful today. And if you're a first time guest or first time you've been here, right outside uh, to my left, your right, out those doors is our Connect Center. Um, You can go and fill out a little card and get a free gift and and they'd love to meet you. Uh, But I'm going to pray for us. We'll have one last song and then we'll get out of here. Father God, I thank you so much for an opportunity to stand here and talk about the gloriousness of the resurrection and the sacrifice and everything that your son went through so that we could have a way to have a relationship with you. So this morning, God, I am utterly thankful for the sacrifice that ended all sacrifices. Jesus, I thank you for what you did on the cross for us. And I thank you that it is finished. Send your son's holy name. I pray all these things through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.